Thank you for tuning in today at Propel Church. Whether you're watching through YouTube or listening through a podcast, we want to say thank you. Our hope at Propel is that you would be propelled into an authentic relationship with Jesus. From wherever you are tuning in, we hope that you are encouraged and inspired by this week's message. I am super excited to be back with you. It's been uh, two weeks, and if, you're, if you've been here in those two weeks, you're like, who is this guy? Uh, my name is Nick Newman. I'm privileged to be the lead pastor here at Propel. My wife and I started this church years ago, and over the last two weeks, uh, I, a couple weeks ago, I was teaching at another church, and my wife taught, and then last Sunday, you had the opportunity to hear from six different communicators who did an amazing job. Yeah. Could you help me honor the communicators that are in this house? <laughs> Come on. I'm excited to be back with you and open God's word today uh, at the 9 a.m. Man, I'm just going to tell you, we know you love Jesus because it's the opening weekend of some cold weather and you chose to get out of bed early this morning and come here and we're super excited for that. If you're joining us online, we want to say good morning to you as well. We're going to wrap up this series called Scared to Death. I'll move my table a little closer, otherwise I'm going to run into it. So... We're wrapping up this message series, and this one's been a great one because we've been talking about fear, and we've been talking about how to overcome fear in our lives. And if you've missed any of the messages, you can go back to our YouTube channel and watch those there. But the fear that I want to talk to you about today is the fear of eternal security. And you might be saying, well, what in the world is eternal security? Eternal security is where you and I are going to end up after Death. In other words, are we going to end up in heaven connected with God or are we going to end up separated from him forever? And if you've ever been in a situation where maybe you gave your life to Jesus and you've been driving down the road, you ever drive down the road sometimes and just have the most outlandish thoughts in the world? You're driving down the road and you're going, what happens when I die? You know, and you're like, Look, man, it's 7.30. You need coffee before you think <laughs> anything this deep, right? Or maybe you're driving and, and you've, you, you've recently made some mistakes or you've got some things going on in your life and you go, do I even have a relationship with God? Maybe it's one of those seasons where you feel incredibly distant from him and, and you look back to earlier years in your life and you go, was that decision for Jesus even genuine? And so we have this fear of where we're going to spend eternity. And, and typically the fear of eternal security is rooted in two things. It's rooted in doubt and shame. Now, if you're in the room today and you'd say that there is, you, you made the decision to follow Jesus, but sometimes you have doubts, I want you to know you are in good company. In fact, one of Jesus' closest disciples was a guy by the name of Doubting Thomas. Now, his first name really wasn't Doubting. That's just the nickname he got because right. he had doubts. Doubts are incredibly common for us. For some of us, maybe you gave your life to Jesus, but you've always wondered in the back of your mind if that decision was legit. Or maybe you have doubts about God and you're wondering how all this works out and you're kind of nervous because you grew up in a church background that said if you have doubts, then you're not really saved. And I just want to tell you before we get too far into today's message that if you have doubts, the good news is God can handle your questions. That's right. Just because you have doubts doesn't mean you don't know God. That's right. 
His ways will always be higher than our ways. His thoughts will always be higher than our thoughts. So maybe it's just an indicator that you need to learn and press into more of who he is because he will reveal himself to you. The other thing is shame. And for some of us, we've made a mistake later on in our life or we've done some things that we know are contrary to the way that God wants us to live. And so we wonder if because of those things, now we're somehow disqualified from actually making it to heaven. Like Jesus' salvation, his payment for our sins was enough to cover our past, but it's somehow not enough to cover our current reality. And so we end up with this shame feeling like maybe we really don't know Jesus after all. And so what I want to do today is, as we're addressing this fear of eternal security, is I want to go back to the source of salvation. I want to go back to look at the source because I think if you and I aren't careful, we'll look to a whole bunch of external things and we'll try and fix the fear rather than dealing with the symptom of the fear. And in addition, if you go to the source, you can actually find the solution. That's the, if, if, if you struggle with gossip, let me just give you, it's called go to the source. It's yes. the principle where instead of talking to others about what you've heard, you go to the person you heard something about and you go, hey, this is what I heard. And they'll go, that ain't what happened at all. <laughs> Why? Because you went to the source. Right. When you got to the source, you found the answer you needed. Yes. That's the beautiful part about God's word. See, sometimes we have all these questions on whether or not we're going to make it to heaven. So you know what we do? We go to our friends or we go to Facebook or we go to Google and we ask people who have the same number of questions we have. We go to our friends who are in a very similar position as we are and I want us to go back to the source of God's word because when we go back to the source, you and I can really see what salvation is all about. And so for some of you who have been in church for a long time, you're going to listen to this message today. And you're going to be like, Pastor, I already got that salvation message. Here's what I want you to know. For followers of Jesus, this is a message that can't become dormant to our ears. We have to know it. We have to live it. We have to breathe it. And if we ever get tired of hearing a message on salvation, perhaps we have never experienced it. Because when we've experienced it and we've lived it, we understand the power it has to break chains and set people free. So let's go to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10, beginning in verse 17, Jesus is going to have an encounter with this guy by the name of the rich young ruler. This is what it says, Mark chapter 10, verse 17. As Jesus was starting out on his way to Jerusalem, a man came running up to him. He knelt down and he asked, good teacher... What must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, this is incredible because when Jesus first comes onto the scene, he is walking, he's going on a a road, he's heading down a path, and as soon as he does this, there's this man that comes running. Now, I've told you in previous messages, running showed a sense of urgency that these people didn't have, so running is a great thing. He's literally pursuing after God. He's running to God. Then he does something else. He kneels down. So he puts himself in a position where Jesus is in a place of authority. He is elevated above him. All of that is incredible. And the question he asks is, let's go back to verse 17. What must I do to inherit eternal life? 
How do I get into heaven? What does it look like after death? And every single one of us at some point in our life are wrestling with this question. You just might not put words or language to it like this. You feel like inside of you, you were made and created for more. You feel like there's something that's missing. Something is off and you're trying to figure out through external circumstances or external things, how do I fix this emptiness I feel? And I'm telling you, you won't fix the emptiness because the emptiness can't be filled. It has to be fulfilled. And the only way that happens is realizing that you and I were made for more than this life we're currently experiencing. That God built you for more than 77 years. He built you to spend eternity with him. And so this question of what must I do to inherit eternal life is one that every single one of us answer. And I love what Jesus does. Jesus answers a question with a question. If you've ever been in communication with God, you know how frustrating this is, but this is how he works. So you look at Jesus' his question back to him. He says, well, why do you call me good? Only God is truly good. And if you read this question the wrong way, what you'll think Jesus is saying is, you shouldn't call me good because only God is good. But Jesus is actually saying just the opposite. What he's saying is, you have an understanding that the Spirit has already revealed to you, that I am God. You're calling me good because only God is good. And that is the basis of salvation, that we must believe that Jesus is God. If you want to know where this journey starts, it's that Jesus is God. Because if he's not God, then Jesus does not have the ability to save us from our sins. If Jesus is not God, his payment will be temporary not eternal. If Jesus is not God, then he is merely just a good teacher. And why is this important? It's important because if we don't see Jesus as God, it will skew the way we relate with him. So if, look at this, if Jesus is just a good teacher, you'll only put into practice the things you want to put into practice. Because come on, how many of y'all know you sat in a class before and you heard from a teacher and you were like, ain't never doing that. (laughs) But, but that's the way we work sometimes with, with Christianity. Why? Because Jesus really isn't God to you. He's just a good teacher. If Jesus is just a social justice warrior to you, then he'll hop from issue to issue to issue, never actually making lasting change. And he might fill a belly, but he'll never impact a soul. You have to relate with Jesus as God, and we must believe that he is fully God because it changes the way that we see everything. Because if Jesus is not God, then his death would not be sufficient to pay for the penalty that sin has. Jesus comes and he lives a sinless life, and what he says is that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father except through him. Jesus is not just a good teacher. He's not just a good social worker. He's not even just a good friend. Because listen, if he's just a friend to you, then you can agree to disagree with Jesus. But that's not how Jesus works. 
Jesus is fully God, which means he is an authoritative figure. He is pure. He is holy. And as we look to salvation, we first must believe that Jesus is fully God. But the good news is he's also fully man. Which is why Hebrews 13 tells us that we don't have a high priest who can't empathize with us in all things because in all things he was tested. He went through it, but he is fully God. So Jesus continues on and he says, Well, but to answer your question, you know the commands. You must not murder, you must not commit adultery, you must not steal, you must not testify falsely, you must not cheat anyone. Honor your mother and father. And the guy replies, teacher, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. Now, the whole reason why Jesus gives him this list is not so that he can come to the realization that he's obeyed all of them. It's actually so that he'll come to the realization that there's a standard he can't live up to. He says, look, if you want to inherit the kingdom of heaven, if you want to experience eternal life, here's all you have to do. Don't cheat, don't murder, don't steal. And this guy comes back to Jesus with his checklist and goes, yep, followed that rule, followed that rule, followed that rule, followed that rule. And if you take the 10 commandments, the Mosaic law, the ones that we find in the Old Testament, and you look at them at face value, chances are pretty high that very few of you in the room today have murdered somebody. Chances are pretty high. I mean, we're a church for all people, right? I mean, so some of you, I told somebody earlier this morning, last time I wore this color orange, I was in jail. Come on, like, you know? (laughs) Some of us haven't murdered anybody, but look at what Jesus says in the New Testament, that if you even have hatred in your heart towards another, that you've already committed murder. So yeah, you might not have murdered anybody, but have you ever hated somebody? So it's not that I've obeyed all these commands. The goal is that we would realize that there's actually a standard that we can't live up to. And you say, well, no, I haven't hated anybody. You lying, but that's fine. (laughs) Let's go to the next one. Hey, you must not commit adultery. Chances are pretty high that for a lot of you, you would say, you've never done that, but men, let me challenge you. In the New Testament, Jesus says that if you lust after another woman, you've already committed adultery in your heart and you've sinned against your wife. There is a standard that Jesus has for the way that we live and the way that we conduct our lives, but the whole purpose of the standard, the whole reason why the law was given to you and to I was to show us that we desperately needed a savior. It's not to make you and I feel bad that there are rules and regulations that we can never live up to. It's to point us to the fact that without someone coming and dying in our place, you and I can never experience eternal life. Look at what Paul says in Romans chapter 7, verse 7. Well then, am I suggesting that the law of God is sinful? Of course not. In fact, it was the law that showed me my sin. Paul says the whole reason why God gave us the law was that it wouldn't be a window into somebody else's life that we could look into and go, 
Oh, you be doing that wrong. It's to be a mirror to show us the fact that there is a standard we can't meet, but praise God, he comes and meets us right where we're at. So I tell you the story of the rich young ruler because I don't want you to be in the position for your life where you look and go, I'm just trying to be good enough. No, we need to get to the place where we confess that we have sinned against God. So we not only have to believe that Jesus fully is God, but we need to confess that we've sinned against God. You can go to that next slide. We need to confess that we've sinned against God. Every single one of us. You ever saying, well, that, that's not really I, the, the hatred thing, the adultery, the lust thing. That's not really me. You keep reading. There's a plethora of other things, right? I mean, you must not testify falsely. Some of y'all go hunting. And when you come back, you tell stories of these 12-point bucks. And you didn't see anything bigger than two twigs the whole time you were... <laughs> You've been falsely testifying every time you come back from the lake fishing. I mean, there are, here's the, the thing I'm trying to get at. All of us have sinned. Right. Romans says that we've all fallen short. Yeah. And we could look at that and we could feel really bad. Like, man, this is a message that, that's hard. It's a message that's difficult. It's a message. The goal is not to make us feel bad. The goal is for you and I to look to the Savior as a solution for the sin problem that we have. So we recognize that Jesus is Lord, then we confess him. We confess that we've sinned against God. And I love verse 21 of Mark. So this guy comes back to Jesus and he says, I've obeyed all the commandments. And then looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. Parents, I think sometimes this is the look you give your kids when they say something dumb. Like, really? You think you've obeyed all the, the commands? But, but here's the thing about Jesus. Even in our own ignorance, he has grace. Even when we don't get it right, he still shows up. Right. And the scripture says that in this moment, rather than ridiculing him and going, bro, you missed it. Yeah. He feels genuine love for him. Right. Because a great leader feels heartbroken over the fact that someone is blinded by the bondage they find themselves in. Right. Some of us are chained and we can't even see it. We feel like we're free. We feel like being good enough or doing well enough is somehow going to get us into heaven, but it's not the case. The only way you and I will experience eternal life is if Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior. So looking at him, Jesus, genuine love for him. And he said, there's still one thing you haven't done. Go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor. And you'll have treasures in heaven. Then come follow me. Here's the third thing I have for you. Jesus has compassion for us knowing our sin issues. Now, when we read the text, some people have used this passage of text in Mark chapter 10 to promote this idea that Jesus' goal for your life and for mine is that we have no possessions and that we have to go and sell 
all of our possessions, give those things to the poor, and the good news is you have treasures in heaven. The problem with that is it's not supported really anywhere else in Scripture. I think what Jesus is doing in this situation is he's looking to the heart issue of a man and he's choosing to have compassion for him anyways. So for this guy, he struggled with money. In fact, when it came to his life, his love for money was, was greater than his willingness to follow Jesus. Yeah. Well, we call that idolatry. Right. And your issue might not be money. But here's what I know. If we go back to that verse in Mark 21, there's still one thing you haven't done. There's still one thing that I haven't done. There's probably something in your life and in my life that Jesus wants to speak to. It's that area of guilt. It's that area of shame. It's that thing that God has been calling us out of over and over and over again. And the good news for every single one of us is that Jesus has compassion for us despite the issues we have. Years ago, I was getting ready for the beach and I was super excited because uh, I was going to the beach with uh, a buddy of mine, and it was going to be great. We were going to get away for a couple of days. And uh, I got in the car, and as I started down the road, I noticed that there was this ba-boom, 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 ba-boom. Brother, I had a flat tire. Come on. And you know that's the devil, right? When you're heading on vacation, and all of a sudden you got a flat tire. So I'm like, oh, man, this is terrible. And so, so I called AAA. I ain't changing my own tire. It's a different story. <laughs> but there was one thing that was keeping me from where I knew I was heading, and it was this flat tire. Yeah. I think for some of us in our lives, we've got a flat tire. We've got something that's keeping us from moving forward, and it's the very thing that Jesus wants to speak to. Because a loving God is willing to confront whatever issue you have. Right. And he's going to deal with it head on, but he does it from a place of love, grace, and compassion. So I would ask you, what's your one thing? To the person who's addicted to porn, Jesus would have genuine love and compassion for you. For the person who deals with lying consistently, Jesus has love and compassion for you. For the person who struggles with alcohol, Jesus has love and compassion for you. If you struggle with stealing, Jesus has love and compassion for you. No matter what your sin issue is, for some of you, your sin issue, you'd say, it's not any of that big stuff. But here's the problem. You're so prideful that you don't even think you need a Savior. Jesus still has compassion for you. That's right. No matter what your issue is, Jesus would look at you today and he would have genuine love for you. But genuine love calls you into new life. Yeah. Yeah. So he looks at this man and he points out that issue he has. And he says, look, get rid of that stuff. Then come follow me. He gives this invitation to not just drop, but to do something different. Yeah. And the scripture says in Mark chapter 10, verse 22, that at this, this invitation that Jesus had to go sell everything and come follow him, that he went away sad, for he had many possessions. See, the reality of this is that he loved his stuff more than he thought he needed a savior. Yeah. Jesus' goal was not for him to go broke. Yeah. 
His goal was to find a source of sustaining power and provision, but he would have never found it if he wasn't willing to let go of what he currently held on to. And at the thought of losing his possessions, he went away sad. In this moment, this guy gives up eternal fulfillment for temporary fulfillment. And I'm not sure that he loved his stuff more than he loved his reputation. Because he had many possessions. People knew he was a wealthy young ruler. And to get rid of the things you have is to risk your reputation. It's to get rid of, for some of us, it's to get rid of the very thing that's defined us for so many years. It's why, for for me, I believe in the principle of AA, but I don't believe in the application of it. If you label yourself as an addict for your entire life, you will never be able to walk out of the bondage you find yourself in because it's become a part of your identity. Jesus said he made you a new creation. So why are you going to keep holding on to old labels and you walk into a new life? It don't make no sense. I ain't got time for that. Look, here's the fourth thing. Following Jesus will cost you something. This is probably the hardest part of the gospel. Because it'd be really easy to paint a picture of the gospel that says you can come to Jesus and it doesn't cost you anything. But here's the thing. It cost him everything. It cost him his life. And he died a death for you and for me. And he does that willingly. He chooses to do that on the cross at any point because he is fully God. He could have called angels down from heaven. He could have come off the cross. He could have walked away in the garden. But he chooses, Scripture says, that he was obedient to the point of death. It cost him everything. And somehow in the church of America, we've bought into this lie that while it costs him everything, it's not going to cost us anything. Be weary of a gospel that people preach that doesn't cost you anything because it's not good news. It's counterfeit money at best. Following Jesus is going to cost you something. And I don't know what that is, but here's what I do know that there's going to be some things that you have to leave behind in order to follow Jesus. That's the truth of the gospel. We have to leave behind that life of sin. It's the same thing that happens in John chapter 8 when Jesus has an encounter with the woman caught in the act of adultery. What does he say to her at the end? That, hey, where are your accusers? She says, I have none. He says, neither do I condemn you. Now go and sin no more. Hey, you were caught in the act. You were doing something wrong. Here's the beautiful part about God's love is it's filled with grace and truth. The truth is you messed up. But grace says, hey, I'm not here to accuse you. I'm here to set you free. And the truth says, now don't walk away from it. Leave it behind. And so after the man's face fell, he goes away sad. Jesus, verse 23, says, that Jesus looked around and he said to his disciples, how hard is it for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God? This again amazed them. But Jesus said again, dear children, it's very hard to enter the kingdom of God. 
In fact, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And when we read that, we go, oh man, this is all about wealthy people. I don't think that's what Jesus is saying. You know what I think Jesus is saying? He's saying it's gonna be difficult for someone to enter into the kingdom of God who's unwilling to let go of what they have right now. Because that's what salvation is. It's the releasing of control. It's letting go. It's realizing and understanding that Jesus is fully God, that we've sinned against God. Praise God that he has grace and compassion for us. But now from this day forward, I'm surrendering my life to Christ, which means that when he says it needs to go, it's time for it to go. When he says something needs to come in, it's time for it to come in because I'm no longer the Lord, the ruler, or the one who's calling the shots in my life. No, my life is now lived in service to the one who died and gave everything for me. It's hard for a rich person. It's hard for a person who's unwilling to let go of temporary pleasures. It's hard for someone who's unwilling to let go of the desires that they have right now. It's hard for that to get into the kingdom of heaven. And so the disciples, they were astonished and they go, then who in the world can be saved? You ever been there with God? Like this feels like it's an impossible standard that there's no way I can ever live up to it. And Jesus looked at them intently and said, look, humanly speaking, it's impossible. But aren't you glad that God puts a comma places? It's not just like humanly speaking, it's impossible. And then leaves it there, but he says, but with God. Everything is possible. So we're trying to figure out this salvation thing. We're trying to figure out how do we get into heaven? How do we make sure we're saved? And normally the way we go about that is through humanistic reasoning. Well, if I just serve enough, if I do enough, if I give enough, listen, salvation, humanly speaking, is impossible. For you to live up to the standard that God has, it is impossible. But here's the good news. With God, everything is possible. Which is why, last thing I have here, I give you five points this morning. Salvation is an act of God that we respond to by faith. You and I can't take ownership of the fact that we're the ones that play a role in salvation. No, Jesus came. He died for you. He didn't ask your permission to die for you. He just chose to do it. I think it's a lot like, um, you ever gone out to dinner with somebody and they just pay the bill for you? They don't ask you if you wanted to like split it or they, they like sneak away to the bathroom and they just cover the cost. Then you find out they paid for your meal and you're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe you did that right? Because you have a hard time receiving. Because if you have a hard time receiving from earthly people, it's going to be really hard for you to receive from God. So we sit there and we go, oh, you know, how could you do that? How could you? That's what God does. He didn't ask your permission to die for your sins. He loved you enough to do for you what you didn't know you needed in the moment. 
Salvation is an act of God. It's where he dies for us. It's where he gives the, the payment of sin on our behalf. And our response is to place our faith and belief that Jesus was enough. That it's not Jesus plus church attendance and it's not Jesus plus Bible reading or Jesus plus serving. None of those are bad things. I kind of like it when you come to church. I really like it when you read your Bible. But here's what the enemy does. The enemy is not creative. He's not, he can't create because he's not God. He only manipulates what God has created. That's why the tree is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It's not just the tree of evil. It's not just a bad tree in the corner of the garden. It's a good tree. So he takes what's good. He takes church attendance and he takes Bible reading. And he takes baptism and he takes serving. And he says, hey, in order for you to be saved, you have to do all these things. But that's not the gospel. And that's not even good news. It's terrible news for you and I to have a salvation that's based on our performance. Because you want to know, I know something about my performance. Sometimes I don't perform. <laughs> That's not salvation. Salvation is where we believe that Jesus Christ was enough for the payment of our sin, past, present, and future. And our response to that is to simply confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe that he died in our place. And if we do that, then we are saved. That's the source of salvation. His name is Jesus. And for some of you, you've got this question in your mind. Am I saved? I don't know. There's no way for me to know that. Scripture says that you'll know a tree by its fruit. I'm like, cool. Then we're going to know everybody's saved by the fruit they bear. Except for the fact that Jesus says, there's going to be people who cast out demons and prophesy in his name, and I'm going to say, turn from me. I never knew you. I would consider demon exorcism and prophecy fruits. So I don't know who's saved anymore. That's not my decision to make. The question is, have you placed your belief in Jesus as the full payment of your sin? Or have you placed your belief in Jesus plus something else? Because if you're believing in Jesus plus anything else, then today you need salvation. You need to set yourself free from the bondage of performance and trying to just live right and accept the person of Jesus Christ. So whether you're in person or online, with every head bowed, every eye closed across the room today, for some of you, you need to make that decision to surrender your life to Jesus, to say that Jesus Christ alone is what I'm placing my hope and trust in. For some of you, you may have been in church for 20, 30 years, and this is the first time you're realizing that you need to believe in Jesus alone. If you say, Pastor, that's me, would you just indicate that by lifting your hand for a moment, saying today's the day where I accept Jesus. If you're watching online, you can click the button right there that says accept Jesus. I'm going to lead you through a prayer and hear a propel. We don't pray alone. We all pray together. Will you repeat this after me? Dear Jesus, today I give you my life. 
I place my hope and trust in you. Thank you for dying in my place so that I could have new life. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for checking out this week's message. If you made any decisions for Jesus or you need a next step or have a prayer request, let us know by going to www.propel.church/hub. That leads you to our digital connect card where you can fill out all of that information as well as see what we have coming up here at Propel. Thank you again for tuning in and we hope to see you again soon.